Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic, along with the GM, Randy Mueller. You can find Randy's work at MuellerFootball.com. Lots of good stuff there. And, Randy, lots of good stuff on our menu today. I mean, we've got, uh, shoot, the Mac Jones workouts going on today. The 49ers have made the big trade up into the number three spot. The Dolphins have moved around. The Eagles have moved around. We're going to talk... Not just about what those teams might do, but just the thinking behind the trades. We we want to get into Mac Jones. I mean, I think he's a polarizing figure here. People are tying him to the 49ers. We'll talk a bit about him. There's a little bit new on the Deshaun Watson front. Sam Darnold lost in the shuffle here, too. A domino that hasn't fallen. The Giants owner, John Mara, spoke to Ian O'Connor of the New York Post recently. Uh, that was interesting. We'll read between the lines there, see what he had to say. And we'll talk to Randy in our Ask the GM segment about smoke screens, kind of reading the tea leaves, you know, who's visiting where. Can you really figure out what teams are doing uh, as a GM? Randy's been in the GM chair a couple times. How you doing, Randy? I'm doing great, Mike. It's good to be back again. I love the repositioning and the strategy that some of these teams are coming up with. This is a fun time of year. And again, we haven't even got into the specifics of who they might draft, but just the confidence and the uh, the 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 thinking uh, outwardly now of these teams that are moving around. I, I enjoy it. I, not often do you get a bunch of trades, uh, even one or two trades a month before the draft. So teams have really thought this through, I think, and, and now have positioned themselves to to take the next step, which is all about finding the right player to match up with them and, and uh, how their board shakes out. Absolutely. I'm just going to read through the top 10 of the draft order. Let's reset that. I always go to tankathon.com. I don't have any sponsorship <laughs> with them. I just love their name and I love their site. They always have the latest draft order. So I go to tankathon. We got Jacksonville, the Jets. We've got the 49ers now in three. Atlanta at four, Cincinnati five, Philadelphia six. I mean, sorry, Miami six. We got the trade. Mm-hmm. Detroit. Carolina, Denver, Dallas, and like we said, Philadelphia moved out to 12, and they sit behind the Giants. So um, there's a lot to talk about. Let's just start, Randy, with the huge trades on on Friday, and let's start with the 49ers. I mean, they were sitting there at 12. They have Jimmy Garoppolo, who's they've won a lot of games with, high winning percentage they've been to a Super Bowl with, but he misses a lot of games and probably has some limitations. He's not one of those guys you win because of every week, but they've won with him. And so they go from 12 to three. What do you think? Do you like it? It was exciting. Yeah, it definitely was exciting. I think what San Francisco found themselves in as a position of kind of, uh, you know, no return at 12, right? They weren't sure what was going to be there at 12. And I think it's become evident that they're going to take a quarterback, whether they move on from Jimmy now later, that doesn't really matter at this point. But they were on the outside looking in at 12. And I think what the move does for them is, yeah, they paid a hefty price. And and on paper, maybe it doesn't fit the value chart of every analytics guru in the league. But at the same time, they've assured themselves by going up to three that they're going to get a quarterback. And they, they've done their intel. They, they may say they don't know who's going to be picked in front of them, but trust me, they know. And they also know that they have to love a guy at three, not like him, in order to give away that type of bounty to get up there to three. So they may, may, may be fine-tuning some of their evaluations at the same time, uh, sending mixed messages around the league with some of the things they say, but they've assured themselves now at three that they're going to get a quarterback. So I think from that standpoint, there's some relief. 
I don't think they finished it off yet with with actually putting a name to, to that pick. But I do like the philosophy, and I think they were the clear winners this week in that they got up uh, to accomplish exactly what they set out to do this offseason is to upgrade the quarterback position. And that's not to say these other teams. I like the, the actual move for all three teams. But if I was ranking them, I like it for the 49ers, at least on paper right now, uh, the best. And then we'll see what they put together as far as who who they pick at three. In that division, the NFC West, you had the Rams getting Matt Stafford. And I think the 49ers were you know in on that too and didn't get him. So then you've got Kyle Shanahan, a very empowered head coach. You know, John Lynch is the GM, and, I, and I'm sure he does a lot of GM work, but they're picking players for Kyle Shanahan. He sees Matt Stafford, who is one of those prospects that are players that every offensive coach in the league thinks if they could only get their hands on him, you know, they would they would be the one to unlock him and win multiple Super Bowls. And I'm sure uh, Shanahan would have liked to have tried. They, they missed on that. So you're looking around the division. You got Russell Wilson. You got uh, Matt Stafford, you, you know, Kyler Murray is at least a young guy with with some upside still. So they probably felt like they needed to do something. Do you love any of these quarterbacks enough to give up that much to get to three? Because remember, you're not getting Trevor Lawrence. You're probably not getting Zach Wilson. They know yeah. that. Right. There's these other guys that are sort of in buckets. And now Mac Jones, people are linking Mac Jones <laughs> to him. So right. if we like the idea of getting up to three, just practically as we apply it to this draft with who they're going to get, not being Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, do you like it? Yeah, I think that's why you have to link the comments that John Lynch made in that Jimmy G is going to be there. So I think with you factoring in him, you can learn to love one of these other guys. Because let's face it, in my opinion, I don't think any of these other three outside Wilson, outside Lawrence are ready for prime time right now. But if you're thinking that they might have a redshirt year behind Jimmy G for a year, then it starts to come into to, to a little clarity for me. I think... Those guys right now, if you drafted one of those guys and rolled them out there, I think you would take a step back. I think if you have Jimmy G, at least a healthy Jimmy G for this year, you may indeed take a step forward because you've done some other things with your team now that make you a little better. And of course, Jimmy G's got to stay healthy, but they've got to assume that that's going to happen. If where they got hurt last year was when Jimmy G got hurt, the backups weren't of quality that they could win a game with. So I think they think by the worst case scenario is they draft a quarterback at three, forget who it is. They draft one at three. Jimmy G gets hurt again. They're still better equipped to handle his absence. They just weren't equipped to handle it. I think they got lulled into thinking that Bethard, uh, the other kid, uh, both these backups that they played last year were good enough. They weren't, especially not with the roster that they rolled out there with them. And some of that was due to the injuries they had. But they're, they're, they have to couple that together with the Jimmy G staying for a year. He has one year left on his contract. And I think that takes us to another really uh, thought process is by them saying they're going to keep Jimmy G, do they really do that at the end of the day? I think that alone is a reflection of maybe the market for Jimmy G hasn't been what they thought it was. And they know that if they keep him and they have a decent year, and he plays okay, that there's going to be a chance that a compensatory pick will come with his exit. If he ended up going somewhere at the end of the year, they're going to get a third round pick, right? That's probably the high end of a compensatory pick. So it tells me that they haven't been offered better than that right now for Jimmy G. So they just said, hey, we're going to get yep. that at least. So let's just sit on his deal for a year. Makes sense. If we end up getting a better offer than a third round compensatory pick, we'll talk about it. But let's just even say it's a second round compens or a second round offer they get from a good team. I'm not sure there's enough difference there to 
cut yourself short at quarterback and go into a year with a rookie and no no safety net, so to speak. So there's some strategizing there when Jimmy G's name comes into it. But I do think it makes sense to have him there, to have him mentor a young kid for a year and to redshirt one of these other kids for a year. Because to answer your question initially, I don't think these other guys are ready for prime time. I would have no problem playing Kyle Wilson, no problem playing Lawrence, but these other guys right off the bat. And maybe that's why Mac Jones sets you know, the bar a little bit and has come into to a little bit of the conversation because he's more ready. Now we can get into this, the physical limitations that I see with him later on. But I think the fact that he might be more ready to play because of the mental aspect, because he plays on timing, he plays on instincts. Maybe that that's why he's in, in, in the conversation at three now. So going all in to get the third best quarterback in a draft who probably isn't going to be ready right away and is a project and in the next two years doesn't give you necessarily one of the top three quarterbacks in the division. Is that fair or is that too harsh? I think that's the swing they're willing to take. And you see these NFC West coaches now, they're taking swings, right? They want to go up to the plate and they're not going down looking. They're going to swing. So we saw it in in Phoenix. We've seen it with the Rams now. And I think they think this is their only option. It's their, it might be their best option coming in the back door because they can't find anything better. I think the thing that you have to really watch is that they've gone, you, you hope they can guard against this going up because of the desperation of, of the need as opposed to the real value of the quarterback. I do see big upside with Justin Fields. I, I see upsides with Trey Lance. I, I don't know if I see the same upside with Mac Jones other than he'll get more comfortable the further he's in, in the NFL for the longer period of time. But, but there, there's some upside there that if they can manage him right, build the team around them, especially in my opinion with Fields and Lance, that they have a chance to get better in the long run, but they can stay good in the short run by keeping Jimmy G. So yesterday I was just, you know, talking to some people around the league. There was a general manager, quarterback coach, just other types of guys like that. And they're, they're guessing for the 49ers that it's, that it's Mac Jones. They, they're yeah. tying that to Shanahan. And that seems to be the, a, a, pro, a prominent view inside the league. And I was, you know, kind of going back and looking at things that Kyle Shanahan said uh, recently and, and even in the last year to try to figure out what he likes at quarterback. I think people tie him and he was pushing back against this. And I get it, you know, that to the guys that he's had before, right? That, oh, he's had Kirk Cousins, so he likes Kirk Cousins type guys. Well, right. I don't think that's necessarily what he's looking for. I think that's what he's had. And he did a good job with them. And he did a good right. job with with Matt Ryan. And he's done a good job with Jimmy Garoppolo um, when he's played – do you feel like that's a lazy view that it has to be Mac Jones? Do you think that it is going to be Mac Jones for him? Well, I, I do think it's somewhat lazy because I think it was also said in the last couple of days that, you know, they were they were picking uh, to go to Mac Jones's pro day over Justin Fields' pro day. And as an evaluator, that makes a lot of sense to me based on merit, not on assuming that Mac Jones is their guy. The guy I have the most physical questions about are Mac Jones. And as an evaluator, that's the guy I would want to see throw live. I want to check velocity. I want to check arm strength. I want to check all the physical boxes that maybe are part of an evaluation of a quarterback that you don't necessarily get on film if you haven't seen him live. And my guess is those guys haven't seen him live. I know Kyle hasn't seen him live because he was coaching a team during the season. So if he can go lay his eyes on him, I think it helps maybe – Uh, It definitely helps with the evaluation of Mac Jones in his mind. So that's to me why I think they would make that selection to go to Alabama as opposed to go somewhere else. Plus, 
all the players at Alabama, it just might be more bang for their buck, right? There's another eight or 10 guys that are going to get picked up there. Now, maybe they, they all don't work out, but they can spend time with these guys too. They'll spend time away from that pro day at Alabama with, I would assume, many of these guys. So that was probably a reason, more bang for their buck, more efficient use of their time. And so there's a lot of reasons I can kind of surmise and connect the dots with to, to send them to Tuscaloosa as opposed to Columbus. Yeah, and you, we saw, I was even watching some of the workout. You saw Belichick was there and Sean yeah. Payton and Mickey Loomis were there. Um, so uh, that's one people just need to be at. I mean, the, the whole league's going to be uh, at that at that pro day. We'll get to the Dolphins in a minute, but I want to drill down on the Mac Jones evaluation because if you've been listening to this podcast, you know pretty early in the regular season, Randy was on uh, Zach Wilson, said, hey, this is going to be a guy you watch when people get start talking about him. He's going to really climb up. We knew Trevor Lawrence was going to probably be the top pick. But sure enough, you agree, right, that the Jets are probably going to take Zach Wilson, right? Yes. I mean, that that seems uh, fair. Now, there's disagreements over the next three guys. You and I talked off air of the podcast, and you thought that Mac Jones may be the most polarizing guy um, of all of these. And really, he's not at the, the top of your list. I think you would agree, right? Lawrence and Zach Wilson would be there. Um, if you had to pick today um, the next guy, and I know that we have to tie this to who each team wants, but if it was right. you, um, do you have a strong preference for who the next guy would be, or would it really depend on what your team looks like? Well, I think you almost have to to evaluate a little bit in in a vacuum when it comes to that. You're going to build your team the same. Plus, I think there's similarities with the next two guys that they, they are make them somewhat interchangeable. I happen to think the, the guy that plays at the higher level of competition in this case does set Justin Fields a little bit ahead of him. There's things I don't like about Justin Fields, but I think there are things he can overcome. Trey Lance has his own issues as well, but those two guys would be three and four for me if I was forced to pick, you know, third, so to speak. Um, I think you've got to drill down on what makes these guys tick inside as much as the physical skill set that we've all can evaluate. We can see things on film. We can see exactly arm strength. We can see what they're asking him to do. But what we can't see is how they process all the information. And that's the big thing is, and I'm sure they're smart kids, but there's processing and then there's processing when the lights are on, right? And when they're putting cigarettes in your eyes and and uh, questioning you like a witness uh, protection program, you know. So those are the things you got you to gotta simulate somehow, some way. And that's why you spend time with these kids. There may not be as much of that going on this year because of the COVID, the fact that you don't get as many opportunities to face-to-face meet with these guys. It's hard to do on Zoom. It's hard to see the sweat on Zoom. It's hard to get them on the board exactly and and do the same things you do and interact with them and and really get an idea about mannerisms and things like that. So long answer. I apologize. But get, getting back to it, I, I, I would have no problem with Justin Fields. But I, the caveat would be, I don't think we want to play him this year. That's why yeah. it makes sense to a team like the 49ers if they have Jimmy G. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think sometimes though when you when you really when you start looking really closely, you just sort of find ways to get the guy you're most comfortable with or the guy you like. And to me, you know, that's how you can make mistakes on who's the most talented guy. I mean, I think we've seen that. I thought Deshaun Watson a few years ago was why overthink it? I mean, he's just been good at everything he's done. You know what I mean? And, and yet you you really look at it closely, you can talk yourself into Mitch Trubisky. You, know, you can be like, oh, you know, you know <laughs> well, what I mean? And yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, it's easy to say now. It's yes, easy to yes. say in retrospect. Well, but to yeah. me, just taking off my glasses so I can't quite see so fine of resolution, right. 
Right. I would just look at him, not even as an evaluator, and go, yeah, probably Justin Fields. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just just yeah. from looking at them, Yeah. And, and we'll see how that works out. But um, sometimes the selections that teams make say more about the teams. And I talk to coaches all the time. You start talking to a coach about quarterbacks, you learn more about the coach than the quarterbacks right. half the time, right. you know? And yeah. uh, The other thing that I think goes unnoticed a lot of times is we have to remember, those of us on the outside looking in, it's a consensus building operation in most buildings. Now, I've been in some where there hasn't been the consensus that I would like to have had, but you have to get several people all on the same page. And if you don't, guess what? You're better off picking a different lane. I just find that, and again, this is this is a prime example of it with the 49ers. I'm assuming at the end of the day, their scouts, their coaches, John Lynch will all be on the same page with regard to who they rank highest at quarterback when it comes to picking three. But sometimes if you can't all get on the same page, I always believe the truth is in the middle a little bit, but you might be better off going a different direction if you're going to force it. Like you said, you got to be careful. You can't force it because one guy's opinion is so high that he drowns out all the other experts in the room. That's one they got to be careful with. Absolutely. Especially when you have such a dominant, strong coach who has a lot of say over personnel. And the GM always wants to help that coach anyway, right? You want to get the guy for that coach. So, And and maybe they're the the peacemaker in in all of this. And I always felt in my role, I, I was that way a lot of times where I was the peacemaker between the scouts and the coaches. You know, their difference of opinion, and I wanted their difference of opinion, but you have to sort it out a little bit. But to go back to one point, and I don't know if we're going to get to this later, but the Mac Jones part of all of this discussion to me is is the polarizing pinpoint uh, evaluation without without getting into all the details. But that's the one we seem to see the vast array of opinions on. You know, that's the one that I just, I'm, I'm not seeing a clear consensus. And for that reason, it makes me nervous. It's nobody's fault. It just, if I'm going to decide at the end of the day, as the GM, what route I want to go, I want consensus if at all possible. I don't want a low grade here by two or three scouts, a high grade here by a coach, you know, that, that, that makes me turn and walk away as a decision maker, just because I, I, I don't, I'm not willing to back one direction over another one because somebody speaks louder in the room. Yep. Let's move on to the Dolphins here and we can hone in because the Dolphins are in a, I think their processes should be applauded. Now we don't know if, if Tua is going to be the answer, but they're totally reasonable in not giving up on him as the fifth pick after one year and half of a season. So they decide, okay, we're not going to in it for a quarterback. So we don't need to be at three. We can just be at six, but they first went to 12. They went to 12 and came back to six. So I think there's a couple of discussions there to have. And I want to talk about the difference between the six and 12 picks, but first for you, do you agree? Good process by them. They seem to really, with some help from other people. I mean, I think it helped them to have Houston be so bad <laughs> to even yeah. be picking that high, but it seems to be like their plan seems pretty good. Yeah, I like the process a lot. I really do. I think they've decided this draft is, you know, uh, uh, an eight-player draft, and I'm just throwing that number out there. And so once okay. they got outside 12, they they already had to deal to come back to six. So they never wanted to get outside 12. They never wanted to get outside 10. So, so the two deals were obviously made w- step one, and in lockstep with step two. So I understand the process. I like the process. I know, and I agree that the talk of them taking another quarterback at three was ridiculous to start with. There's no way, like you said, they're going to sour on, on tour, tour, regardless of the 
evidence that we had that it wasn't perfect last year. I think they think that's part of the process of him getting better as well. But they also knew that and, and Chris, I've been around him. I mean, he worked for me when I was there. Chris he Greer, understands, yeah. yeah, he understands how hard it is to make a deal. I, I spent many drafts on the phone all the time and not being able to find a dance partner, not being able to move up or down when you get in those situations. So he found one and a way to get out of three. He knew that his pick at three was valuable for a team wanting a quarterback. So he did a good job, in my opinion, of one, researching it, identifying it, and then being willing to pull the trigger sooner than later. Who knows who else would want to come up? He had to take the burden of hand to get out of three, and it took him all the way to 12. But in his conversations, he also knew that Philly wanted out of six. So it made it easy for him to, to connect the dots, put them all together. I like the process. I think in the end, the Dolphins end up getting maybe the same player they were going to pick at three at six at the end of the day, and they would have gained a bunch of other picks and other things because of it. I totally agree that if you're not in it for a quarterback, and we could have th- we're yeah. going to have three quarterbacks go, one, two, three. Maybe you more. may have four. I mean, yeah. you may yeah. have four. Uh, and then, okay, so then Cincinnati's sitting there at five. They get Maybe they're going to just take a tackle, and maybe you want the top receiver or whatever. Whatever it is that you want if you're Miami, I agree. I think from three to six, that's just a no-brainer. Now, the question is, being willing to go back to 12. And like you said, a lot of times as an evaluator, you're going to have X number of quote unquote elite or blue or whatever Mm -hmm. real franchise changer type players. I think the question is how good are teams at knowing that number? And should they have just stayed at 12? Cause you'd have another, another one. And so I've, I'm going to tell you, I want to hear your answer to that because I think as an evaluator, you probably feel a lot better being at six. It's like, Oh, we know with, they know there's three guys, they're going to get one of them right. or whatever in this yeah, draft. No. But I think history says there's not a big difference between 12 and 6. I want to hear your take on that. Would you rather be at 12 if you were them or no, you'd rather be at 6? Well, I think it depends on how I thought the draft was going to fall. I think to answer your first part of your question, teams are really good at categorizing the, the skill level of the players. And they know when there's a drop-off. I'll give you a quick example. The year in Seattle that we drafted Sean Springs and Walter Jones, I think it was 1997, we had determined that this was a six-player draft. Beyond six players, we didn't really feel great about any of them, and especially not at needs that we wanted to fill. So what we did was we had 10 and 11 at that time, I believe, the draft picks, and we felt like we were like like the like the 49ers felt. We were on the outside looking in at 10 and 11. So we had to find a way and we're willing to give up really the rest of our draft to get from 10 and 11 to three and then later moved up to six. So we ended up getting two players that were in our top six and in in actuality, two that were in our top three on our board once we set the strength of that draft. And so it all it all works out to where you have to have value on the players. You have to have stacked the top 10 in this case, or wherever you pick, you will definitely have spent time on the top 12 or 14 or whatever. And you will know inherently where the drop-offs are. So to get a quality above where you're at, you explore moves to try to move up into that next echelon. And I think that's what happened with Miami. Again, they've done, a, I think, a really good job of identifying the players in that cluster. And, and and again, if you're outside of where your comfort level is and your cluster has disappeared, then that's when you pull the trigger to try to back up to start investigating trade down moves. So all of this enters in. Uh, teams are really good at putting a priority on these players and, and 
what's the word I'm looking for? Deciphering the skill level and the grade range where they are. They get in trouble when they jump around in that area uh, while they're sitting at the same spot uh, to pick a player, per se. They've got to alter their draft strategy and hopefully find a dance partner to go up or down, depending, depending on how they feel the value of those players are. Yeah. It looks like this year that the, they could have their choice of wide receivers. Do you think they go that direction or do you think it could be wide open? Here's the thing. They might. But when I hear that, I cringe because how about we just yeah. pick the best player? Can we not yeah. pick the highest guy on our board? The guy the guy who is number one on our board might be there at six because there's four quarterbacks have a chance to be drafted. So we're going to get one of minimum, uh, one of the three best non-quarterbacks on our board we're going to get at six. That's value. That's that's why they didn't want to go to 12. They they feel that there has to be a cutoff there at some point that allows them to stay at six. And I think because nobody stacks their board the same, they'll, they, they might get the first or second non-quarterback on their board at six. And not at 12. They wouldn't necessarily no, get that No, I don't think so. There's just too many dots to connect there. Too much prognostication that, I mean, we can get Karnak involved and, and all that, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think they feel way better about it at six and 12. That's a great oh, yeah. feeling to know what you're going to yeah. get. Yeah. But when we just look historically at the difference between those picks, there's not a huge difference. Yeah. I think the difference, Mike, for me is the fact that we know three quarterbacks are going to go, maybe four. That's, that's, yeah. write it down in pen. That's going to happen. So that eliminates four other teams that might pick the players that you want. And if you don't want a quarterback, I think six is the best place to be if you couldn't get to five. You know, and Cincinnati's never been one to really make deals and and shop around. So all this is happening, and I'm not sure Cincinnati was even involved in it. I, I think there's one question before we get too far away from the 49ers. The 49ers made the move with Miami at three. I wonder, did they make the call to New York? And did the Jets say no? Because that makes you that gives you a lot more information as to what the Jets are thinking as well. That's the way I would do it. If I was going to trade up and I had a deal to move up you know, like in this case to three, I'm going, then I'm going to two. I'm picking up the phone and seeing if they want the same deal or even one and see if they want the same deal just to see how high up the pole we can get. Yep. And I think the initial reports were that there weren't discussions there, which may mean just that there wasn't anything to talk about because the Jets, <laughs> the Jets maybe aren't moving out of there. You have I to mean, make I think the call the, though. Absolutely. If they, if the Jets were going to move out of there, I think we would have heard something, you know, maybe that could change, but, but it sure sounds like they're going to stay there. And, uh, you know, so we shouldn't makes overthink sense. it. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going. Anyone's going to come in there. But so, so basically, then you, they're like having the Miami's basically like like having the second or third pick in a in a non quarterback draft. That's the way and I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. It's a great spot as to opposed, be, as opposed to being eighth or ninth in a non quarterback draft, which is where you'd be at twelve. Correct. Um, and we'll see if they can come out of it. That 97 draft you mentioned where Walter Jones was a Hall of Famer. Well, Tony Gonzalez was a Hall of Famer at 13 as well. You know, So I'd rather be picking at six. I'd rather have Walter Jones. Right. Uh, maybe that maybe they see a player like that for them. It's going to make a huge difference for their franchise. And I think, I think it's a little bit of a compromise thing too where you want to move out, but you don't want to move out too far. You don't want to give up nine spots. So they come in the middle. It's a happy medium. They lose a first-round pick later to do it, but they still have another one later. And if they're wrong on Tua, they're going to – guess what? They're going to have a first-rounder later. If they're wrong on him, they're probably not going to be – they could be drafting a little bit higher too, right? So they may be in position to be right back in there in a couple of years, worst-case scenario if they have to, getting a quarterback um, then. 
And, and the part that we're evaluating all this on paper, um, the, the second step is connecting the team with the actual player. And just because they draft them there doesn't mean it's a successful draft either. We got to see what these players do on Sunday. So the results of this draft, I know everybody doesn't want to hear it, but we're not going to know it for a couple years. Having said that, on paper is what the Eagles angle was to even making this deal. They, that's they exactly, went through, yeah. yeah. I was going to say that that's our next step, right? That's our next team. And you segued into it beautifully because they're the kings of winning on paper. Oh, I mean, kings. they are yeah. <laughs> kings of process. I mean, they're the kings yeah. of right now. Chart value charts. Yeah. Value yeah. charts, trades. And man, they are the analytics champions right now, you know, for, for, for moving back, getting stuff for the future. Uh, but you still got to pick the players that I'm reminded. I, I fell into this a little bit a couple of years ago when they, you know, jumped ahead of Houston. Remember, they jumped ahead in the first round, and it, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. wow! I mean, the Houston is so stupid. They got leapfrogged <laughs> by Philadelphia. Philly's so smart, getting the tackle they wanted, Andre Dillard. And look at these dopes in Houston. They're stuck with Titus Howard. And a couple years later, I mean, Titus Howard's probably <laughs> a better player, or at least he's done more. I mean, he's started more games. So you do have to pick the players. That said, I think the Eagles have shown us that of these teams. They're the rebuilding team. I mean, they're the team oh, yeah. that's about tomorrow. And it may be a quarterback for them tomorrow, too. Yeah, that was – the move to me, I think eliminates – just my opinion, eliminates the quarterback being an option. I think it was straight confirmation that the Eagles are in rebuilding mode and that they're interested in quantity over quality. That's just the way they look at it. They're going to, on paper, win it because of the value chart and all that stuff. They already have one quarterback project on their hands. I just can't see them picking another quarterback to throw oh, in the yeah. mix and muddy the water. So quarterback's out. They need to find a way to get people around this guy so that he has a chance to develop. Because if they roll out the same roster they did last year, this kid's never in. Jalen Hurts is who I'm talking about. He's never going to get better. So I do think I like this move for the Eagles, but now they've got to put it with players. And I, I think Howie, and I like Howie, he's very smart. He's very analytical, like we've mentioned. He's very process oriented. But the thing that's been missing there at the Eagles is true evaluations. They just, they to me, haven't evaluated players as good as they could have. And they might admit that, but that's been their downfall. And maybe that's part of the process that they have in place. It hasn't led them to the right player. Because I've always said the process leads you to the best players. If you know what you're doing with the process and listen as a decision maker, you got to listen, but that process will lead you to the best players. It's let them down the last couple of years. They haven't added to the mix. They've bypassed some really good players for whatever reason. So that's been the missing ingredient to me. And that's what will determine if this is a good move for the Eagles or not. Can they attach a legitimate player to the picks that they have on paper? They've done better, actually, over the years in free agency with established players where people know how good they are than they have in the draft, it seems like to me. And when I say they could be in for a quarterback tomorrow, I don't mean tomorrow this year. I mean like two, three years down the road because they've got all these picks in the future. So Jalen Hurts, they're going to find out. And if he's not the answer, they're going to have a ton of ammunition to be maneuvering in a future draft, maybe get somebody else they really like. But yes, I, I'm with you 100%. I feel great about their process, but we felt good about their process before. you got to pick the right players. They haven't done that. And uh, that's why they're in the position they're in today. Anything else on that, Randy? You want to hit before we move on? No, I think the other winner in the in the deal, maybe just as a as a passing note, is really Tua. Right? Tua wins because publicly he doesn't have to listen to any more questioning of his status within the hierarchy at, at the Dolphins. I, I we knew it. We know he's not going anywhere. It didn't stop the media from making up 
trade requests or trade scenarios that that send him out of there. He he now everybody can stop asking these two of the future. He's the future for right now. And so that I think he comes out as as being the other winner in this case. Absolutely. Now, you know, while we were completely dismissing, you know, the fact that they might trade too, I mean, the only thing you could have envisioned, right, would have maybe been a Deshaun Watson, right? If he would have become available, could you have seen that? Yeah, I mean, that's worth But you were about. laughing at that one too, saying, yeah. saying he wasn't going to be moved. And that's uh, really a guy we'll talk about briefly today because there's a, there's more coming out, right? I think you saw that Jenny Branch has had a story in Sports Illustrated that corroborated a little bit independently some of the, if not criminal, certainly questionable behavior um, by him. Do you think as a GM that uh, that there would be any, you know, we talked about before, like they're not going to probably trade him, but there's a lot of teams that would have been interested in acquiring him. Would you be, do you think that's gone now? Do you think that there's a market for him or just has to wait and settle this whole thing out until we I know think more? Yeah, I think there's absolutely no market right now. As sad as it is to say that, I don't see how a team could ever make a deal just based on what you know right now on a maybe. You, you just, you can't maybe give up three first round picks and not know what you're getting back in return. So I just think that deal, I never thought it was going to happen. I think this solidifies that it's not going to happen. Again, I don't know anything about the laws and, and it, all the other things we've, you know, got to consider. But like you said, there's been enough smoke now to where you have to question some of the things that yep. the, the positions that he put himself into. So, I mean, time will tell that process will make it out. But I know this, if I'm a GM at another team, there's no way I could go to my owner and say, Hey, we should do this based on what we know so far. I just don't think that can happen. Yep. So we're going to put that one to rest. You know, Sam Darnold's another quarterback who's been a little bit lost in the shuffle here. Uh, I think we expect that, you know, the Jets will probably have to trade him, but could you even get a pick in the first three rounds for him right now? And and who should do it? You know, I think we we see some teams that have been on the outside of this quarterback thing, whether it's, you know, whether it's Carolina or Denver, maybe they can still get one, but their team's sort of lurking a little bit lower. Um, heck, Washington, you know, is a team that has one, but maybe doesn't have one for the future, isn't picking high. Um, do you think that domino falls? Do you think they, the Jets have played that right? Uh, can they get value for him? Yeah, I think... Again, it's easy to sit here now, but I think they've lost a little of the edge yeah. with regard to Sam Darnold. The, the the numbers of teams that you just mentioned have dwindled now. I always thought the 49ers would come in and grab him at some point. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. You can make a case that the Bears might still be in play and the Redskins might still be in play, but they've paid $10 million to a current quarterback and promised him not the starting job, but in both cases, almost the starting job. So I don't know where Sam Darnold ends up. Um, and I, I, I got to chuckle when I asked you this question a few days ago. I said, what do you think they're telling Sam Darnold? And your response was, oh, hang by the phone. <laughs> so that was a, a cold way of saying that's probably true now. I mean, he's he's probably lost in the shuffle, like you said. Maybe there's a team that comes out of nowhere that's looking for a, a you know an option. I, I don't know. I, I think you're yeah. probably right. And I think if they had traded him a few weeks ago, they may have been able to get a second round pick for him. I think you're right. They're probably going to be hard pressed to get a third round pick at this point. 
So maybe if you're a team that might have some interest in them, you know, maybe you're looking to see how the first round of the draft goes, you know, and maybe maybe if one of these teams that needs one doesn't get one, there's still time because you're not going to give up a first round pick for them. You know, that maybe maybe going into that second day of the draft, uh, Darnold gets moved for a third or a fourth or, or something maybe conditional in the future, depending if he starts wow. and plays, yeah. you know, and, and and by then we know, OK, the Jets have. Uh, Zach Wilson on their team and let's just make up a team Washington or Chicago or Carolina or somebody didn't get didn't get a quarterback and now um, he could be a nice ad in that type of a context where you have Teddy Bridgewater or you have Andy Dalton or you have Fitzpatrick they're guys who can get you through a game maybe they can get you through a season uh, but but they're not the guy they don't give you anything for the future so um, maybe that's where that goes. I'm still carrying the flag that Sam Darnold is a starting NFL quarterback. So if I am the Chicago Bears, I'm still thinking about playing that card. I got news for you. And you're right. Maybe it's a second day pick. But for me, I think it's more of an answer and gets us further down the road and also gives us protection against an Andy Dalton or a Fitzpatrick. You know, I, I, to me, it still makes a lot of sense. What you pay for it, I guess that's the that's up for debate. But I think the guy in the right spot can end up being a pretty good player. And and maybe it's a team, how about this? Maybe it's a team like Seattle who's looking for a backup but further down the road. You know, maybe they give the Jets a second or third round pick for Darnold. He comes there for a year and oh yeah, by the way, you still want out of town, Russell, next year? At least we have an option because that's been the big play, right? Is they haven't had an option coming back their way in any deals that have been offered them. And I'm talking about Seattle. Now yeah. this would give them an option a year ahead of time. So they they, they kind of jump ahead of the shark in the Russell Wilson uh, so management. Here's the deal, though. They only got three picks. Can you imagine if they used one of them on a quarterback? <laughs> Russell might have a mutiny and go running out of town. But could you give up a future pick for Darnold? I mean, what, how would that work? Sure. Or do they just need to trade down, get a pick? And give how how could Seattle actually do that with only having three picks? Well, I think you're right. You hit on it. You give them a 22 pick, and if you were going to give them a third round pick this year, you give them a second round pick next year. You know, so they have to wait on it a year, but it comes back. Yeah. In, in, or maybe in, you in, give them a third that can elevate to a two, right? Or maybe I would or, want to yeah. keep my picks for this year, like you said. You only have yeah. three as it is, so I don't want to mess with yeah. those right now, but. I would give yeah. up something next year if, if it brought us a quarterback in return. Plus, we, we're a lot better this year if something happens to Russell Wilson for whatever reason. Russell may may widen his list of places he would go if the Seahawks were to were to trade for Sam Donald on draft day. Yeah, I think that would be funny. I think it would actually be pretty funny. I mean, there hasn't been enough drama around there. I was laughing yesterday <laughs> yeah, right. as, the, as the Super Bowl odds were emailed out, and I got it, and I was like, uh, they had the Rams in the NFC West. They had the Rams at like 12 to 1. The uh, 49ers were at 14 to 1. And then Arizona and Seattle were at 28 to 1. Like Air Seattle was below New England, who doesn't even have a really a real starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wow, the perceptions of this uh, Russell Wilson fiasco and where the teams are heading is really affecting how people see the team. This is a 12 win team, but it feels like they're a eight win team that's going to give up on Russell Wilson. And right. who knows? Who knows where that goes? But that would certainly uh, that would that would almost just be like saying, a counterpunch, counterpunched <laughs> yeah. by the front office there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. God, it seemed like I had something else I was going to go with on that. Darned one, but that may just blow them all out of the water there with uh, with Seattle, which I could totally see too. I'm actually thinking of John Schneider, their GM, watching activity in the division because he's the ultimate guy who has to be doing something. You know, I I have not I'm not <laughs> in the office with John every day, but I would imagine he's got like a 
pencil or something, and he's one of those guys who's like tapping it all the time. You know, he's like, he's got <laughs> like his coach something. isn't. Yeah, like his coach he's like that too. And these yeah. guys are watching. They're watching um, action. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. watching the Rams be like, you know what, we're, we're yeah. getting Stafford. You know, they're like, ooh, you know, we weren't going to go for Stafford, but that's action. You know, they're they're watching right. 49ers trade up for the third round pick. I think that. Snyder and those guys must be sitting there just dying. Like, what can we do? We we're the kings of the off season usually. You know? <laughs> so I hear you. Um, yeah. Anyway, hey, our last item we wanted to hit on was was about the Giants in the NFC East, and obviously they've made a splash in free agency. But uh, kind of interestingly, their owner uh, John Mara came out in a in a column by Ian O'Connor, who's a new columnist at the at the New York Post, longtime columnist at ESPN, who's you know written books and just pretty. Pretty uh, well connected, and so he had a column uh, talking to Mara. I want to kind of go through some of those comments and just sort sure. of see what we think of where they're at. And you start out anytime an owner puts money out like they have this year, there's some expectations, and I think there's been really positive coverage of Joe Judge. But they were six and ten, so uh, let's just sort of read between the lines here on John Mara. Um, if you were Joe Judge and he's out there saying these things, do you feel better, worse, the same? Or do you just feel in, in general that, you know, when owners talk, to, does that get your attention as a GM? Well, I think you've got to take some of it with a grain of salt. But I, I definitely think John Mara has empowered his coach. I don't think the coach is going anywhere. Nothing John said makes me believe that all of a sudden uh, Joe Judge is under the gun. But like you said, at 6-10, and 10, there's room for improvement. And And one of the things I did see that John said was – we should have a playoff team now because of the additions we've made. So I think that pressure probably is applied more to Dave Gettleman than it is the coach. Because as long as he, he that's like saying, as long as we've evaluated these guys right, we've spent the money. Now, you know, what's the next step? So I think some of that comes back to Dave in that it, as long as he's sent them on the right direction to sign these guys, you can argue if they overpaid or not. That seems to be the, 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 sentiment around the league is they they may have bid against themselves they may have paid too much for these guys they're they're past and and these guys we're talking about are really are Gall- galladay and uh uh the usc kid dory jackson those are the two guys that they've paid the most money to and seem to be being criticized for um you know at some point the the giants may not have been the destination that anybody wanted to go to at six and ten and the coach is a little funky. So it might, be, they, it might be that they had to overpay to be relevant. We've had this discussion before, too. Sometimes you overpay just to to, to get the player, right? The, the players don't want to go there until you keep throwing enough money at them that they actually come. And, yeah, you do have to overpay in that regard. And maybe they were bidding against themselves. But they're bidding against their past in hope that it gets them to 9-7 and seven this year and not a return visit to 6-10. and 10. Yep. And so he said, they can't call us cheap anymore. He was laughing. They can call yeah. us dumb, but not cheap. And I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I think those signings are risky signings with guys who um, haven't been able to stay on the field necessarily. Um, yeah. High market deal on a Dory Jackson. Um, I don't feel great about the moves that they've made well, yeah. um, paying off this year. I don't feel great about Daniel Jones. <laughs> um, I don't feel great about a lot. Uh, that's going yeah. with the Giants. I think the the Washington's clearly ahead of them from a roster standpoint. Um, Philadelphia is not. Dallas is probably somewhere in between. But um, I don't know. I just don't feel like they're suddenly going to be a ten and six team, and we're going to be talking about Kenny Galladay. Maybe maybe there's another move coming for them next year. 
Well, I don't doubt anything you're saying, and I'm probably with you, but I don't think this reflects on the coach. I think oh, these no. are all these are all team building issues. So to answer your question, how does Joe, Joe Judge feel? He, he feels better. He's got a few better players than they had before. But I think this comes down to a referendum on Dave and and how this team has been built. So I think results have to change there in order for Dave to move on. And Dave's seventy years old. He and he's a big boy. He understands this too. And hey, I give him credit. He's taken a swing. Maybe he hasn't swung at the right guys, but this year will, will bear that out. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mara obviously very excited about Joe Judge. He's talking to him. His quote in here, you always know where Joe is on the practice field, just like you did with Bill Parcells and yeah. Tom Coughlin. So uh, they're definitely all in on him, excited to see what he can do. And I think you're right. If it if it, if it it doesn't work out, they're going to be blaming the, the personnel moves, and those are not on Joe Judge at this point. He may have a bigger role. Yeah. I do uh, think in, in one, one point just on Joe Judge, and we kind of poo-pooed some of the things he did last year in his yeah. first year, but – his authenticity has to be judged more than anything else, no pun okay. intended. The, the, the players have to believe that this is who Joe Judge is and not he's not trying to be somebody else. Yeah. So I think that has to come to, to the forefront. And and John saying he is authenticity, he, he's he, this is him, he's authentic. Players buy in, all yeah, that. Yeah, players yeah. are buying in. So that's got to be a positive going forward for the Giants. Yep, yep. And I, I think that we were a little skeptical going into last year thinking that may not be the case, but the first yeah. year he seemed to pass that test on that front. Right. Yes. I mean, um, that part of it seemed good and, and you could see a playing style for them, certainly defensively that uh, looked pretty good too. So we'll see how that plays out. It's time for ask the GM. Randy, our ask the GM segment today kind of plays into what we were seeing, trying to figure out what the 49ers are going to do. And people are, paying attention to who's at this pro day, who's at that one. Um, there's a lot of kind of smoke screens and subterfuge before a draft. Can you as a GM sort of figure out what teams you're going to do? How do you, what do you take seriously? What don't you, do you care who's at a pro day? All those types of things um, for you. Is it easy to, is it easy to ferret out and how do you do it? Well, I, I think a lot is, is even more so today than ever before read into who's at pro days. I worked for a team for 10 years that, you know, wanted you to list every scout from every team. And you sent that in on your pro day report, who was there from all these teams. I didn't find a lot of value in that. I'll be honest with you. Um, yeah, there's decision makers at any and all these places. Um, I think there are smoke screens that are sent out. Frankly, I'll be honest with you as a GM, there were times, sometimes I would go to a pro day just to get out of the office just because I was tired of all the other crap that was going on back there. So we can't put a whole lot onto these GMs and coaches all the time. Um, you, you say Mickey and, and Sean Payton were both at Alabama. Well, it was close, right? They probably got up there this morning. You know, they could get back tonight. They got a lot of other things going on as well. So that's probably why they're there as much as anything. And yeah, there's a lot of other players. I find it found it more interesting uh, sometimes when a position coach was there uh, not a decision maker per se, and try to read how much time he actually got to spend with that one player, one outside linebacker or one safety. And I would like to know, did they spend some extra time with him in the classroom while they were there and that stuff. That puts you, because you put together lists as a GM for your coaches to go work out, and that might be five or six guys. So that that list itself might give you some intel yeah. on later round picks and and competition you might have in round five or six or even as free agents sometimes we'd go work out guys as free agents and keep that in our back pocket but we were really recruiting them that's why we were at the pro day so i don't know that you can read too much into the top decision makers being there but there's a lot of work getting done besides the, the, those guys as well 
Well, this year, what's interesting is the limit's four per team. So, like, I was talking to a couple of position coaches. They're not even going to them. You know, and in the past, some of these guys, there's not even quarterback coach necessarily going to some of these things. So, I think that's an interesting aspect of it, too. And, um, you know, we'll see how it comes out. I think we know this. There's going to be a lot of quarterbacks taking early. Big surprise. Uh Thanks, everybody, for, for hanging out with us today on the, the Football GM Podcast. You can find Randy, like I said, at MuellerFootball.com. He writes columns there. You can uh, also find him on Twitter at RandyMueller underscore. Uh, I'm Mike Sando at SandoNFL on Twitter. You can certainly find my work at The Athletic. I'll have a big piece coming out Friday of this week on free agency that will touch on some of these, including touching on some of those trades. So check out, watch for that, and we'll talk to you next time. Next time.